Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we are fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. My name is Caitlin, and if I were a fantasy tropey character, I would definitely be an elf because I already have curly, crazy hair and live in the woods. Don't elves usually have straight hair? Oh, and I didn't <laughs> tell you guys what order to go in. Cameron, Kristen, Emily. <laughs> okay. I'm Cameron, and if I were a fantasy trope, to the shock and utter surprise of everyone, I would be a vampire. I'm Kristen, and if I were a fantasy trope, I would probably want to be a human rogue, but I'd probably just be a human bard. My name is Emily Duncan, and I would want to be an elf, but I would be a human in any setting. <laughs> I'm just not just normal. that interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm just average. <laughs> A big welcome to our special guest, Emily Duncan, who's the author of the instant New York Times bestseller, Wicked Saints. Tell us about your book, Emily. My book is <laughs> dark fantasy about a girl who can talk to the gods, who has to team up with two terrible blood mage boys to try to assassinate a king and stop a holy war in fantasy Russia and Poland. It's weird. It's bloody. It's a it's it's a it's a fun time? Question mark. <laughs> the next one comes out this April, is it? Yeah. Is it? April 7th. How are you holding up? Are you excited or are you just like stress? I book? you know what? I am way calmer about this one than I was the first one. I feel like there is so much less pressure. <laughs> and also I like this one so much more, so whatever. Ooh, that's, that's exciting. Awesome. Today, we're talking about how to research for high fantasy. I wanted to start with the question, why do we need to research for high fantasy? Because it is not real. It is in another world. Well, if you're just going to go ahead and create another world, one of the disadvantages of that, as opposed to doing something contemporary, is that you don't actually live in that other place. So if you want to make it seem realistic, I would at least have to think about it a bit. Well, I mean, there's a difference between researching and brainstorming, yeah. too, because definitely for any secondary world, you have to, like, think things through and think, like, if I'm going to have blood mages, how does that affect the rest of society? We should probably ask Emily since that's, this is her pitch That's what topic. I wanted to talk what about. What do you think? I mean, Wicked Saints, you said, is fantasy <laughs> Russia and fantasy Poland. So mm -hmm. how did you bring research into that? And how much is based on real history and real geography? I always like to say that I spent... An entire year researching, but everything in the book is made up. <laughs> <laughs> it's all fake. But I am an academic at heart, and so I I spent a lot of time working with a book when I was younger that was quote unquote 100% made up, and it was terrible. And I realized that grounding your setting, grounding your world in a few very carefully placed actual cultural touchstones helps when you're trying to build out and it helps ground the reader in something that they can hold on to that's comfortable so that when you start throwing in the really weird stuff everything isn't weird you're not having to catch them up with literally everything you're saying okay here is this it's vaguely reminiscent to this thing you might be familiar with now let's make it weird I, I want now let's make it weird as like a slogan on a shirt or something. <laughs> That's, an That's my motto. That's a really great advice for writing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think you have to do that in most books. Like even if you're doing something in a contemporary setting, obviously you need grounding details, but you also need that. Oh, let's make it weird a little bit. If it wasn't weird, we wouldn't be reading about it because it would be normal. Exactly. So where do you start researching? I have found that 
you can tell all you need, really, about a culture and their folklore. And so I'll read, um, I read a lot of academic articles, and I'll read a lot of, like, actual history books, but the bulk of my research tends to happen with folklore and fairy tales, just because I feel like you get a very innate sense of how the people work in their fairy tales and how people of different cultures will function in a shallow, like a sh in a shallow, like first step kind of way. Um, and I also find that it's very easy to get bogged down if you're reading a lot of historical texts. It gets very easy to get too focused and too attached on the details that then you're not actually making it your own thing. Then you're just making it this vaguely, like this, this, it's too, it's too close. It becomes too close if you let yourself get too bogged down. Also, I really like finding just really random academic papers and reading them. Are you using One like JSTOR or, or how are you finding these articles? <laughs> Well, I work at a library, so ah. I can get through databases. Yeah. Oh, I'm so jealous. Um, I wish I still had access to all the databases. <laughs> when I wrote Wicked Saints, I worked at a university, and mm -hmm. so I do miss that because I had way more at my fingertips. But the library in Cleveland has just a ridiculous amount of Slavic texts, so I got lucky in where I live. So what sorts of things do you latch onto? It sounds like you focus on folklore and like legends in that in whatever culture you're researching mm -hmm. and you try to stay away from really specific like objects or historical yeah. stories or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you keep things general? Yes. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. I like to keep things general just because I feel like that makes it easier to then diverge when you have to because you will inevitably mm -hmm. have to if you're doing your own thing for sure well and also I feel like that brings up the question that I feel like is very relevant in the current book world where's the line between historical fiction fantasy and like cultural appropriation and how do you avoid crossing that yeah do you have any thoughts about that no I mean I do <laughs> like when I was trying to figure out what Wicked Saints even was, because this book took me a long time to figure out. I got the conflict from a book about just one random war between Russia and Poland. It was just one of many, just minor encounters. And obviously, the war between Kalyazin and Chernobyl is completely different because Russia and Poland never went to war over one of them deciding to use blood magic all the time. <laughs> um... <laughs> But that's the thing. I, you, yeah, I haven't read about that. No, I don't history, think that so. happened. Um, <laughs> but that's the thing. You can take bits and pieces. You you act as a scavenger instead of a thief. Because I feel like people like to use the comparison of being a thief as a writer. And I feel like I don't like that because that implies that you're taking things wholesale mm -hmm. and putting them into your story. And that's when you get into appropriation. That's when you get into doing things that maybe aren't your lane to work with instead of being more careful with your intentions and what you're taking from real life and why you're taking it and how you're in implementing it in the story. If that makes sense at all, I don't know if that made any sense at all. <laughs> I think it does. I have a friend, Rosalind Eves, who writes historical fantasy. So she takes mm -hmm. real events that are part of real history and then adds magic to them. And so she sticks really, really closely to real timelines, real folklore, real stuff. But because she's doing it as a historical fantasy, she can, she can do that. Yeah. But I feel like if you are writing something that's completely secondary and you're inspired by a place, 
or an event or a culture, it's exactly what you said where you're like, I studied for a year, but all of it is made up. So you're taking like relationship ideas and like the way people have interacted with each other and the things that people believe about the world. And you are inspired by those ideas rather than saying this really happened and I'm just going to give it a different name. Yeah. Or this object is cool, so I'm going to lift it out of the culture that I think is cool and put it in my story. Anyway, we should probably move on. What are big picture things to think about when creating a secondary world to make it feel big or complex? One thought that I had is that everything, every part of a world has consequences. Like, you can't change one thing and not expect other things to change. And so when you're building a second world, you need to think that sort of thing out. Like... I've been listening to Lockwood and Co., which is not high fantasy, I but I love them. They're very cute and very spooky. It's supposed to be set in like a roughly modern world, and as I was reading it, I noticed like there's no internet. Technology seems a little behind. And I was like, that's weird. I wonder if that's just for plot purposes. And then the more I thought about it, ghosts appeared 40 years ago, and all the focus went to stopping ghosts. So the ghost technology is really advanced, and the other technology is not very advanced. And so suddenly this one thing that I noticed that never has attention drawn to it, which is that there's no internet, made sense because of the series of... And maybe that's just fridge brilliance and it wasn't intended, but I don't actually think it wasn't intended because when you have a fully fleshed world, when the author is like holding it all in their brain, I think iceberging and just drawing attention to little bits of it really helps. Okay, I'm just going to kind of piggyback off what Kristen was saying is I know sometimes my real building when I'm looking at changing some aspect of something to make it different from reality sometimes I look at it and say well you know what happens if once a month the sky decides to swoop down and kidnap everyone who's not at their house and you look at something like that that is so different from how the world works and you start to think oh this could change a lot about how people live and that can be intimidating but I think a lot of the times that if you dive in and embrace the consequences of the the make it weird moment that that's what makes a fictional world unique and intriguing and you know with something that people want to read about yeah I think like especially honing in on little things and then building out like the little things that then spiral out to there being no internet or the little things that would spiral out from the sky swooping down and I love that by the way that's amazing no no one would leave their homes and uh, that, I love the chaos that that implies um I know that like the road the road advice is like when you're world building you have to know where their food comes from and you have to know what they do with their sewage and like yeah I mean I get that but also like no reader most readers don't actually care and so, like, if, if you yourself in your brain know those things, I feel like you knowing those things will help in the little things that you then focus in on as you're writing that then show where they're getting their food or what they're doing with their sewage. I kind of get that one. I don't know why I constantly see it on Twitter, but I do. <laughs> it's a sign. The universe is trying to tell you that you really need to be careful about this. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> We need to know more about and Wicked Saints. So this is just something that Cameron and I were talking earlier because I tried watching the first episode of The Witcher and I just could not. It For many, many reasons. Oh, Emily looks so sad. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> Okay, no, you make your point, and then okay. I, maybe I'll, and then I'll, I'll make my point. <laughs> okay, so, so my point is, is that part of the reason that I lost interest in the first episode is that part of the reason was a over reliance on typical fan. What? Okay, no, the real point I'm trying to make. Sorry, the real, 
the point I am trying to make is that there's a lot of political intrigue going on, and we don't really have any way to know where these countries are in relation to each other, which made it so hard for me to care about what was happening because I had no geospatial awareness. And until I watched the first episode of The Witcher, it had never before occurred to me that I cared about geospatial awareness. But I actually think that having an idea of where things are in relation to other spaces in a book, especially in a secondary fantasy world, is really helpful. And not necessarily countries in relation to each other, but even like towns or where your bakery is. Just like having really good grounding details to help me get a sense of blocking and location is really, really helpful to make a world feel complete. The thing about The Witcher, it's actually, it's incredibly close to the book. Well, the first book. But the first book is a loosely connected series, not even connected, it's almost completely unconnected series of short stories that are just Geralt doing random things around these countries. And so there's no broader narrative. And so the show has tried to inject kind of a narrative into the greater story, but it's still banking heavily on a source material that does not have that to begin with. And so that's also, that's also, you get the timeline issue because it jumps around on timelines with like no indication of when anything is, but you also have characters that can live hundreds of years and they never tell you why. But that's what the books are like. The books are that kind of like, we're just going to give this to you and you're just going to accept it. And you do. And it's great. And so it's fascinating to me to watch a TV show that's doing the exact same thing where it's like, here's this. You can keep up. Keep up, I guess. Come on. And I love that because I love I love things that like that is so don't handhold. And sometimes I do think with The Witcher... It needed to handhold a little bit. I really would have liked timeline markers. Just a little. Just some indication. But I also kind of thought it was a bold move to just not do it at all. Whatever. You, you're you smart. Keep up. But whatever. So, it, okay, that... That explains a lot because I went into watching this with no knowledge about it other than I kept seeing comments on Reddit that were like, toss a coin to your witcher. And I was like, what does that even mean? And so I went to go press play without Googling anything, without reading anything. So I was expecting a narrative and did not get a narrative. So that <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I I think I I think I stopped watching right when Renfri is like talking with Geralt in the woods, and Renfri is like that one queen just won that one battle at that one place, and I was like, wait, that's the grandma. Why is what is happening? And then it was one in the morning, and the, I stopped. You didn't see the really really good duel between Geralt and Renfri. It's so no, good. I haven't seen it. So maybe I'll finish the first episode and give it more of a shot now that I understand more. But I just, it was so late. And I was like, am I not understanding things? Or is it not making They're sense? They're just not hand-holding, which it also kind of doesn't always make sense. But, well, whatever. <laughs> okay, so really quick, how do you keep track of your research and high-level world building? Uh, well, if I was smart, I would write it all down. <laughs> <laughs> ah, she doesn't I keep track. That's the not. trick. <laughs> I so I if it's something that I am actively reading for research, I keep a notebook and I write everything down. But I have also found that I will never go back and look at those notes. They just kind of sit around in my brain. And so that that's all I do is I will only keep a notebook. I don't ever put it on my computer. I never put it in my Scrivener file. I never tend to move it out of that single medium. And I do think I have an ingrained, like from college, 
like if you write it down, you will remember it better than if you type it out. I don't actually know if that's true, but I did know that in college, if I if I took notes on my computer, I never remembered them. It is true. It's a different. I have a theory about that. If we want to waste a little time on it, <laughs> it really does. Theory. It triggers a different part of your brain. But yeah. what is your theory, Cameron? Well, so my theory is that most people can type faster than they can write by hand. Uh And so people who can type really fast can just kind of write everything that's being said in the lecture versus if you write it down, you can't write as fast. So you have to actively think about what you're hearing and summarize it. So for someone like me who still types like they never learned how to type, I actually remember really well type notes because I have to summarize everything that's being told to me. If I'm trying to type and listen at the same time, I don't absorb any information. Like it's like translating something. Like if I was ever trying to translate for anybody when I was in China, I would just be like, none of the information registers in my head because I have to assign all of everything that I'm thinking to like the information coming in and then just making it go back out. And so I never remembered anything. Okay, so we should probably move on to the second portion of the podcast, which is where we do a first chapter critique. If you would like to check out the text of the submission and see all of our notes, you can check it out on our website, litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. If you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can find our submission guidelines there. Okay, we didn't write a summary this week either. We're really on top of things. So, who wants to give us a pitch of this chapter? (laughs) Maybe I can do it. And if I can't, someone else can improve mine. The summary of this chapter is Aiden, a freedom fighter of some sort, has exploded a bomb. He finds himself in a bar. He meets a pretty creepy guy. And they're clearly planning something big that was really bad i'm usually really good at elevator pitches <laughs> don't you work in i do I mean, i'm usually really good at elevator pitches somebody else give it a shot i didn't think about it before i started talking <laughs> no that was good that was good a pseudo russian saboteur is forcefully recruited to Perfect. rescue Blue. there we go Cameron. okay <laughs> is it right. pseudo i don't know I was, actually might be it, it might be literally whether it was fantasy or not. A lot of my notes, because I, I, and a lot of my notes are confusion about that. Okay, well, let's start with things that we like. So we'll start out on a positive yes. note. What are things that we like? I think there were some excellent lines with a really great, dry sort of humor. I, some of the ones that I particularly liked is I like the exchange. I have no idea how to say Russian names, so I'm going to absolutely butcher the lady's name. But the exchange where Oliesa says, I'm not dragging your body out to the gutter because I'm not strong enough. And also, you don't tip enough. And then his response to that, like, fine, I'll just be some decoration for you. I thought that was a really great... I liked the, the consistently dry, like, uncaring sort of humorous voice where it. I'm not... I don't know much about Russian culture or anything like that, but it felt like the American version of what I think of Russia. Like, people, people from Russia being... let's just stereotype a bunch of people right now that's a good idea but I mean it just felt like very dry like kind of dark humor throughout which I liked and made it feel authentic like to the character that was consistent throughout I liked the voice a lot and I liked that the voice was consistent through the entire thing it had a I guess dark humor but like just like the situation of the guy at the bar just super banged up and super disoriented like he was not all there was really funny to me (laughs) (laughs) yeah I really I really really enjoyed it as well and I love how just I feel like I learned a lot about the about Oliesa from her response to everything Aiden's doing and I felt like I learned a lot about Aiden from how he's like yeah this was just like a Saturday night I'm (laughs) 
Just Whatever. Chilling. <laughs> Stood a little too close to that explosion. Yeah. <laughs> I like the moment where he pretends to scratch but is actually checking for a knife because I feel like that was a good character clue. I can provide more specific lines I thought were good. I liked that she made this observation with the same tone someone might alert the owner of a shirt to an errant button. And I think that's when she's like, you're bleeding everywhere or something really big like that. Did you want to add anything, Cameron? You're being very quiet. I mean, I can. I'll second everything else. Everyone else okay. has said. I thought. I thought the. I thought the feeling of place was intriguing and immersive. Even if it was. Even if I wasn't quite sure if this was straight historical or historical fantasy, I felt like I was in a very cold town where a man had just blown something mm-hmm. up. Okay, let's move on to things that might need a second look. What did you guys think? There's a lot of little things for me, like the use of Cyrillic was a little. Mm. Like, I, I, I get why you would do that, but you don't really have to. You're writing to an English audience, and so you can anglicize the spell. You can you can write in Roman Roman characters. And also, he immediately translated the, the Russian letter, or the Russian word, which I don't think you actually need to do. And I know that I am, like, I'm not the majority on, on this opinion, but I feel like if you're using flavor text like that, you don't necessarily need to translate it. Because the agree, reader I can agree. keep up. Listen, my readers Actually, get mad at me for not translating my flavor text. This is why you don't read reviews or Twitter or anything okay, ever. But if, you just ignore if them If readers all the time. really want to know the flavor text, it is very easy to Google. So I, well, no, but that's more work. <laughs> well, I actually had a different thought about the... The Cyrillic, because the conversation is happening in Russian, right? Yeah. Like, the only reason they're putting it in there is for the benefit of the English readers, which I felt like was out of place, because I'm like, that guy is not going to think that. He's listening to her speak to him in Russian, and it just happens to be in English for us, because this is a story that was written in English. And so it pulled... Like, I've seen people use that flavor text. If you have somebody who speaks... A, a different language than the main language the characters are using and it like shows that they do not like that it's not their first language or whatever mm-hmm. I, I mean when I was young I used to read like Harlequin romances the really old ones from like the 50s and they made me laugh really hard and there were always like these really macho dudes from from South America who are like I don't even know the right words to use because I don't speak Spanish because they would just stick those words in there as if that was like the way that you knew that he was a macho dude from mm-hmm. South America somewhere and so like I um I didn't like that it was there because it made me think like it made me question everything I thought about the story I was like what language are they speaking why did he I mean why is he thinking that at all so that's just my take on that I and this is this was um this came into my I don't know if this is actual Russia or fantasy Russia I don't recognize the name Oyesa Oyesya which means nothing I don't know every Russian name there is but it looks like a, diminu- a diminutive. I got the sense that these were two characters who knew each other, but not necessarily that they would be using that kind of informal naming conventions with each other. I know that writing Eastern Europe and Russian, especially a lot of Western writers don't want to really touch diminutives, which is fair. I didn't really do it in my books either. But I also just kind of feel like it's a, it's a way to ground your setting and it's a way to ground your time period. And so that would have been helpful to just know if that is a nickname. Are they comfortable enough with each other to be using nicknames? Is it not a nickname? That's it's a, just a very little like 
little thing that jumped out at me. I wanted to say that you guys really liked him being confused and disoriented, which I think is really interesting, especially for a first chapter. But the way it came across to me is that he's just not very intelligent. <laughs> and I had a really hard time wanting to read more about him. I was like, I mean, I mean, like um, when the guy comes in, there's a scary, weird guy who comes in and immediately zeroes in on Aiden sits next to him in an empty bar and is like, so what's your name? I was like, either he wants to flirt with this guy or this guy has been looking for him and Aiden just blew up a factory. Like, is he not concerned about this at all? And he doesn't, it doesn't even occur to him that this guy might have been looking for him until they're already at a table, like, drinking together. And I was like, I figured this out a long time ago. So what's going on here? What did you guys think about that? I felt like things needed to be moved around in the chapter, like, introduced at different points. Like, I missed that he'd blown up a factory and had to like go back and read it again to figure out what was going on there was something that I noted let me see if I can find it it took so long for the two of them to actually say it took so long for Andre to say what he wanted and I felt like I needed to know that so much earlier to be invested political prisoners is a fascinating concept to me please give that to me right away (laughs) I think, so when I read it the first time, Andre seemed so confident that he didn't need to worry about getting caught that my automatic assumption was that Andre, or sorry, um, Aiden, Aiden Aiden. seemed so confident Mm -hmm. that I just assumed he knew something I didn't and that I would find it out. So that was something I was okay with waiting on. But if it turns out there's no good reason for him to be that confident, that might need a second look. But yeah, I will agree. Well, Like, that interaction happened, and I was like, what is wrong with this guy? Like, is he really that drunk or that disoriented or just not smart? And then the guy is like, you know, I've heard about you. You're amazing. And I was like, who told you that? (laughs) Like, is he? (laughs) Is he really that cool? I mean, it seems like he must be, or this guy wouldn't be seeking him out. So, I don't know. I just didn't quite line up for me. This is a smaller thing. I think Aiden's hearing and vision um, problems from the explosion are handled pretty well. Like, they track and we don't ever lose sight of that fact. But it mentions in there that he also has broken ribs, and that comes up, and it's never mentioned again, really. And at one point, I think Aiden spins around on a bar stool, and the whole time I was just like, oh, how are these ribs affecting him? So that's something I would have liked to see a little bit more consequences of broken ribs are rough yeah and he's like talking really well for someone with broken ribs (laughs) yeah those are that's one of those injuries that I feel like and I've done this myself writers tend to throw in but like it's those that's way worse than any of us truly handle Mm -hmm. you can't do that much with a broken rib like it's it's pretty debilitating so um, one other thing that I tagged is that it seems like there are a couple of omniscient throwaway lines, like at the beginning, when like that line we were talking about where Olyessa, is that her name, it calls him fellow in Russian, and there's this big like thought process about it and a bunch of description. And then by the end of the page, we find out that he didn't actually hear her. So I, I wasn't that, sure. I noticed that when Andre comes in, is that it shifts to weirdly Andre's point of view and then mm-hmm. jumps back. Yes. And there's another one, too. Oh, yeah, this is probably what you're talking about. Or no, no, at the end of their conversation, when Aiden and and Andre are finished talking, and Aiden goes back to the bar and is like, I'm not talking to you anymore, it says, there was no mistaking that Aiden considered the two men's business to be concluded, which sounds like it's not from Aiden's perspective. It sounds like someone else is watching him and saying it was obvious that 
So it's there's just a couple of lines like that throughout, and that's something to watch because either it's in omniscient and you are consistently giving everybody's thoughts and point of view, or it's in Aiden's point of view and you can't have external stuff coming in. And you know, I was just reading Pride and Prejudice, and she totally did not follow those rules. But <laughs> like right now in publishing, I feel like that's something that's important. Yes. So yeah, and I've. Yeah. I was just reading the first Rangers Apprentice for the first time, and it does this. It does a very similar thing where every time it switches to somebody, I'm like, "What is happening?" Head hopping. Yeah, it's great fun. One other thing, but good omniscient is so good. Agreed. One other thing, I think most of us agree on. I'm not sure if everyone is because I don't think everyone has chimed in, but. I think there's a lot of filler in this. This could easily be cut down. I think there's a lot of good voice, but I think the voice will shine even better if you've got less. Yeah. It's the 10 to 15% rule. Just go through and cut that much. Yeah. If you can. I hate that rule and I love it. <laughs> I just had one smaller point towards the end when Andre does something that puts... Um, Aiden unconscious. I wasn't immediately sure if uh, the author uses the word jolt, and I wasn't sure if that was like a literal electric jolt or like an emotional reaction. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure that something physical had happened until he actually blacked out at the end of the paragraph. I also, actually, speaking of that, I wasn't sure how many of his symptoms were from being drunk and how many were from the explosion <laughs> and how many I should have been noticing were different because Andre appeared. Because it seemed like some things had changed after Andre came, and so I was wondering if something magical was happening, like he was hurting him or doing something to him. Because in the text, there's like a marked, I didn't realize that I drunk this much, or something like that. And he's not referring to feeling disoriented about the explosion anymore, so I was like, that seems to me like a lantern, something's wrong here. But then that's, it never... I mean, we only get the first chapter, so maybe mm-hmm. that pans out later. But I wasn't sure which symptoms belonged to what. I do have to say the confluence of being drunk and suffering from the effects of an explosion. And then also whatever happens at the end, I, I don't know. Something about the situation is very interesting <laughs> to me, And I want more of it. It's almost like we have like a, like a Russian Jack Sparrow demolitionist. <laughs> thing going on like i don't i don't know if he's going for like the ivan the fool which is like the russian fairy tale character but like i'm feeling it here a guy that just kind of stumbles into his own story okay do we have any last thoughts i really enjoyed these i probably would have asked to see i would have read further all right well thank you so much emily for coming on the show it's great to have you thank you for having me anybody who hasn't read wicked saints yet you should go check it out and if you have you should definitely pre-order ruthless gods our next guest will be sarah nicholas who wrote dragons are people too and keeping her secret she's the current managing director of pitch wars which is what we're going to be talking about that week they also write romance under the name aria kane if you would like a first chapter critique from Sarah, please be sure to check out our submission guidelines on our website and get us your chapter by January 16th. Thank you to our intern, Lindsay, who this is her first week and she's amazing. Yay, Lindsay. Um, if you would like to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome or whine about how your writing is going, you can find us on Twitter at Lit Service or on Facebook and Instagram is at Lit Service Podcast. We frequently do challenges where you can win books or first chapter critiques, or you can email us at litservicepodcast at gmail.com. For Lit Service, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs>